Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're into extra time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, there's a dire warning ahead of the Tokyo Olympics, which are due to start in less than 70 days, and that warning's that people will die. A top epidemiologist is urging the IOC it's not too late to call the Games off. Well, we hear from Olympic silver medalist Sarah Walker on just why the Games must go ahead. And can the Chiefs stop the Crusaders from a second straight Super Rugby Aotearoa title? A top epidemiologist is warning the International Olympic Committee that going ahead with the Tokyo Olympics will ultimately lead to deaths. Otago University's Professor Michael Baker says while safety procedures during the Games will be strict and athletes will generally be safe, their participation in the Games will come at a cost. He wants the IOC to call off the Games or, failing that, the New Zealand government to step in, saying it's morally wrong for the Games to go ahead. If we look at... um the times when the Olympics been, has been uh, suspended or cancelled in the past, it's been in times of war. In many ways, we're currently at that, in that situation. We're at war with a global pandemic that's killing people in large numbers across the globe. At this stage, we are seeing the pandemic getting much worse rather than better. So this really seems the worst possible time to be thinking about international sporting events. Most Japanese people do not want the Olympics to take place, according to surveys. And healthcare workers there are totally against it. They are battling another, a fourth wave wave of uh, COVID-19 infection in Japan, and it's very intense in Tokyo. And they are barely managing their own responsibilities as health healthcare workers. And now, of course, the Olympics will require thousands of uh, healthcare workers from Japan to focus on supporting the Olympic Games. And they're very concerned about this. You're talking about a moral decision, and perhaps many people would suggest the IOC and morality generally don't go hand in hand. Yes. Well, I have. That's certainly been an impression um, that I think many of us have had for years, seeing the decisions they've made in the past. Um, and and really, um, a lot of the, the um, questions um, around fairness, I think, are really overwhelming, that for um, a country like New Zealand, where um, we can have we can have big sporting events with relative safety within New Zealand, uh, and we can vaccinate, we can afford to vaccinate our healthcare workers, it's not taking vaccine away from people who would otherwise die from this pandemic. But in much of the rest of the world, that's not the case. If you're vaccinating uh, athletes and and sporting teams to go overseas, that vaccine is not available to protect vulnerable older people and people with long-term conditions. So it will result in deaths. There's no question about it. Staging the Olympics will kill people. And so I guess that's one of the trade-offs that the IOC has decided that that's an acceptable price to pay for this event. And I just think that's the wrong decision for obvious reasons. 
you would urge the IOC to revisit it, particularly after the IPL postponement? You want to stage the Olympics once the pandemic is under control. And I know last year that was the decision that was made. Yes, it couldn't go ahead last year. And uh, I thought that the same decision would be made this year. Because in, February, sorry, in January, the statement was made that these Olympics would be celebrating the fact that we've beaten the pandemic. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Things are getting worse at the moment. So I think the I can't see any need to stage the event this year in these circumstances. This is an issue about global fairness and I think the Olympic spirit. And when you have a discretionary event of this scale, it needs to be deferred because so many other things have been put on hold because of the pandemic and because staging them now is the wrong thing to do. It's incompatible with managing a global pandemic. And it will ultimately kill people having the Olympics this year rather than postponing them. I think there's no question about that. But the people who die may well be in low-income countries where they have lost access to vaccine and other resources so the Olympics could go ahead. So you're essentially saying the IOC will be responsible for, for deaths? Oh, yes, I think this decision will. Just because of the sheer scale of this event and the diversion of resources into the Olympics that would otherwise go to um, supporting controlling the pandemic in countries around the globe. That's Otago University epidemiologist Professor Michael Baker. Olympic BMX silver medalist Sarah Walker is adamant, though, that the Games will go ahead. Walker is on the IOC's Athletes Commission and told me given most Olympians only get to compete at one Olympics, it's a risk worth taking. As an athlete, um, you train for normally four years to, for this one event. Um, and I think it's like a, a really high stat is over 70% of athletes only go to one game. So in the representative side, I, I think of those athletes that this is the only chance in their lifetime that they will be able to compete at the Olympics. So let's try and make it happen. Um, and then for me personally, working super hard over the last, uh, since Rio, like I want it to happen too. So kind of with both hats, um, from the athlete perspective, like how do we make it work? What's the challenges? How do we overcome them? You've been or made the decision not to go overseas and compete though, so which suggests you're quite you're being risk averse. So how does that translate into, I suppose, taking the risk and going to Tokyo? Yeah, it's a good point, but it's quite a different um, scenario. So like travelling overseas, it was basically to be um, competing against my New Zealand competitor um, for whoever gets the spot, and that was kind of the only reason to travel. If it was to travel to qualify New Zealand a spot or not, then the decision would be different. So it depends on the context, but in terms of the games, it's like, well, like I said, you work towards that um, for a long time, and the support that you have from, say, the New Zealand team is um, going to help a lot with a lot of the logistics, a lot of the um, stress or risk outside of um, travelling on your own, essentially, as we would if we were travelling for BNX at the, in the current environment. Michael Baker, Professor Michael Baker from Otago University, has been quite outspoken about saying he can see no justification whatsoever for the Games going ahead. He's a disease specialist. What's your response yep. to that? 
I, I think of all of the preparation and the risk reduction and the mitigation that the IOC and the Tokyo organisers have been putting in place. Like it's going to be a very, very different Olympics. Um, but the priority is to make the athlete experience as similar as we possibly can, but to organise a competition for those athletes that have been working towards this moment. Um, for me, it just keeps coming back to the fact that a massive per- percentage of athletes, this is the only time in their life that they will get the opportunity to represent their country at the Olympics. Um, and for me, that's enough to try and figure out, okay, yes, there are challenges, but how do we make this work? It's a risk worth taking from your perspective. From my perspective, it is, and all of the risks that are involved in, in still organising it are being addressed. And as an athlete that's trying to compete there myself, like I feel confident that I will be going into a, a place that is prepared as much as it can be. And obviously there's still going to be some risk that that is like everything's been thought of and there are processes around everything. So I guess at the end of it, as an athlete, with my athlete hat on, I just have to focus on performing my best and being safe. How much nervousness have you sensed uh, from athletes uh, around going to to Tokyo, above and beyond, obviously, any any nervousness that would be there because it's simply the Olympics? (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, I guess... Little bits, just like questions, and and it was probably a while ago, maybe like six months ago, where athletes were like, is it still going to happen? And that's obviously been answered um, many times. But um, in terms of the logistics and kind of the daily testing that we will have and the mitigation um, things that we'll be having to follow, like it is, everyone acknowledges it will be different. But I think from my experience with as an athlete, the New Zealand team has been keeping us in the loop with all the information of what we need to think about as athletes, what kind of the process will be when we land on the ground, what will be the process in the village. And um, I think they've done a really good job at keeping us athletes uh, pretty like business as usual, really. Um, it will be different. And like I said, again, a majority of athletes haven't been to the Games Um, This will be their only one, so they probably don't have much to compare it to either. (laughs) So there's only a a portion of the team that have been there, done that, um, and it will be a different experience for them. But I think that that happens naturally with the different countries and cities that we go to for each edition. Getting vaccinations, how much of a... uh, Has that eased nervousness? I've had my second vaccination, and it makes me feel more confident. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that I can just not wear a mask or not wash my hands or whatever. So I think the hardest part for me is going to be seeing people I haven't seen in like a year, a year and a half, because um, we haven't been travelling. And I want to hug them. <laughs> and not being able to do that, I think that that's probably something to, that I struggle with the most. <laughs> Do you sense that the games could still not go ahead? Not at all. Um, I feel very confident that the games are going ahead, and I I haven't had a doubt for a, for a long time. It's just what it actually looks like. It's not even been part of the discussion, which was yeah gives a lot of confidence. It's just going to be so different. <laughs> 
that no one has probably ever prepared for this. Well, no one has ever. It's just how can you transfer those skills that you've learned from other experiences into this scenario? Um, and sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Um, just not knowing what to expect and going in with your eyes wide open and do, making the most of it. Um, uh, we saw that with Eliza McCartney in Rio, just going in and, and doing the best that you can in that moment without the experience um, and still being able to perform. So I, I don't know. I, I I would assume maybe experienced athletes have the upper hand, but then at the same time, it's the Olympics and anything can happen. That's BMX rider Sarah Walker. I'm joined now by columnist Hamish Bidwell and RNZ Sports reporter Barry Guy. Hamish, if we start with you, general thoughts? I mean, it's pretty dire warnings, isn't it, from Michael Baker? But then on the other hand, you know, you've got athletes five years they've been training essentially for this. I was embarrassed with Sarah Walker to listen to that nonsense. I think that was selfish and naive and she looked a fool. Um, This whole idea that um, the IOC are perfect and everything's going to be sweet and there's no trouble if we stick our fingers in the air and, and hum a happy tune, then nothing, none of this will be real. I applaud you immensely for talking to Professor Baker and getting some context around this and actually getting some facts and some um, some reality around it. I just think that we're being sold absolute nonsense by the NZOC and, and the IOC, and I just find there's no justification whatsoever for this to go ahead. And we look at the IPL and what happened there. You know, we've got teams travelling by private jet from private airports in their own bubbles and still getting sick and they've had to call the, the whole thing off. I just think it's incredibly naive that we would assume that nothing would of this magnitude would occur at the Olympics as well. I mean, once people get sick, I mean, there's obviously there'll be Japanese citizens dying because resources have been moved towards athletes and support staff. But when once athletes and support staff get sick, well, what happens then? You know, and I wrote about this the other week. There's 11,000 people coming for the Olympics and they're distributing 150,000 condoms to them. Now, what's what's that about? We hear about precaution this and protocol that. Those two scenarios aren't compatible. So I, I, absolutely, said, I absolutely applaud you for, for having Professor Baker on. I hope his comments are reported widely. I hope more people of his ilk speak and are taken seriously because, honestly, I just thought Sarah Walker sounded a fool. It's a tough call over the athletes. The, the, the impact, the, the effort... Can I just on... come in there, though? Can I just come in there, though? Like We've had boycotts before. We remember 1980. We remember 1984, I can think of people like swimmers Rebecca Perrett and Gary Hurring, whose Olympic window closed because New Zealand boycotted the Moscow Games in 1980. It happens. That's life. You have to accept that. This whole thing where we have to cry a river for people who prepared for the Games, this is nothing new. You're not an Olympic athlete, though, Hamish, are you? You haven't dedicated five years of your life. No, but I mean, but but that's not my problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just no justification for these to 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 this event to occur and as i've said we have had boycotts we have had things called off in the past and athletes have just had to accept that i think uh, the issue is here is while we've had uh, some trans tasman uh, competitions going on here you are involving the rest of the world uh you know parts of asia south america and in africa who uh you know have been struggling with this uh, pandemic um, and they are all coming together. This would be the first occasion since the outbreak that the world really is coming together for something like this. And as Michael Baker uh, pointed out, we, we really we don't know what the ramifications of it are going to be is, is the issue. And I suppose if any uh, uh, sane person would... would well, although that, he's, he's suggesting that the ramifications are pretty clear, people will die. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, 
so this is the first chance for the world to get together and um, what will happen after that, you know, how many will die, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. The issue, of course, is uh, money and it's the IOC and uh, uh, I I think that uh, it will go ahead because um, there's too much at stake financially. Uh, for this, and they are trying to, um, in some way, cover up what effect it may have on uh, the world, and that there could be another, you know, rise or, or anything like that, um, just because of the finances. The, the whole future of the Olympics possibly is at stake here, because if this one doesn't go ahead, what signal will that send out for future city bidders? thinking that, um, well, you know, anything could happen. You know, am I going to give, you know, $5 billion to host the Olympics in 10 years' time or, or, or whatever? And so I think the IOC is running a little bit scared, thinking, um, you know, the Olympics is, is, at, is at stake. The future of it is at stake here if it doesn't go ahead this year. And unfortunately, I think that will um, overtake any concerns that there may be about... Um, you know, what will happen to the world um, because of the pandemic. Hey, Mr. Well, you... Professor Baker used the wartime analogy, and it's a very apt one. These are extraordinary times. And while no one's wishes for the Olympics not to take place, we have to acknowledge the situation. And, you know, what I mean, we, we, we lament cities like host, former host cities like Montreal and Athens being left bankrupt by mm. hosting the event. Well, fair income Tokyo, we could have a population, a portion of the population wiped out by this. I don't want to sound too extreme, but if, if we're talking about deaths here, it's mm. going to be the deaths of the local population. Far out. Like, what What price is too high? It's, mm. Give me strength. Well, I mean, what, what is it, I mean, it's going to take for the, the IOC to call this off? Well, I, personally, I don't, well... I mean, we looked at the IPL, uh, and, and, I mean, the mere fact they called that off as well, because obviously money's ruling things there as well, but, but they did actually go and, and, and call it off in the end. That's possibly, to me, suggests... That, that that the IOC might at some point call it off. That's the only thing that up until that point I was possibly going, well, there's no way, there's come hell or high water, they're going to make this happen, seemingly. I don't think the, the Japanese will have the final say whether it goes ahead or not. It'll be uh, the USA, uh, the, the ones that put the most money into this. They like to, uh, you know, propaganda of, you know, showing that they're the best in, in the world. And it all evolves around them. NBC, again, who have poured the most money into the Olympics for I don't, 30 years now, um, their future in it, and I think it'll be, they say this has to go ahead. So um, I don't think it'll be the IOC or the Tokyo organisers that will have a final say, unless there is some huge outbreak again and, they, and Japan goes into lockdown. Uh, because, um, yeah, NBC needs this to go ahead. They've, as I say, they've put billions into it, and they want to, to um, see it happen. So unless the USA or a Great Britain or a Germany or something like that decides, um, you know, we're not going, then I don't think anything will happen. It won't get any momentum. New Zealand, if they decided to pull out, I don't think would make any difference. It has to no, be no, one of those yeah, big nations. Quite right there. Hey, does the New Zealand government need to be saying, right, we're not going? Well, someone has to be the adult in the room. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the IOC and the NZOC don't appear to be. And, and we've got Sarah Walker, who you said was on the IOC um, Athletes Committee. She's 
clearly like being brainwashed by the whole thing. So someone has to stand up as Dr. Professor Baker did and say, far out guys, this is actually a bit problematic. You know, we've got some concerns here and for your own safety and for frankly the safety of the local population, we think this thing is probably, you know, shouldn't go ahead. But I doubt it's going to happen. And Barry's quite right. I mean, NBC run this thing and um, we'll all just, yeah, fall into line. Moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got that sorted, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do have to feel sorry for a whole lot of athletes. It, it's going to be heartbreaking for them because, unlike uh, rugby players or you know cricketers or whatever that play regularly, if you're a table tennis or you know anything like that, this is it. And they're going to miss out, and it was their one chance to get there. But as you say. Uh, you know, uh, Moscow in 1980, they, a whole lot of them didn't get to there either, and we survived eventually. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it we heartbreaking for them. But, you know, we're we're thinking of the world here, aren't we? But, so so from... The question you asked before, Stephen, to Sarah about, well, you're not competing internationally and haven't been, but suddenly it's all going to be all right on the night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there, clearly there has to be a level of recognition that things aren't that safe in the world, and athletes, are, you know, there's... People haven't been going to qualifying events or tournaments mm. around the world for a very good reason, and it's because it's not safe for them. And But suddenly we're all going to go to Tokyo and it's going to be hunky-dory. It's just so naive. Uh, from one major sporting event to another, Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, the <laughs> <laughs> Chiefs versus Crusaders. Um, Barry, uh, so, uh, the, I know you're a big, big Crusaders <laughs> fan. The uh, Can you see the Chiefs? I, I can, actually. Um, I think there's a little bit of vulnerability about uh, the Crusaders. You know, having said that, of course, they'll win by 50 or something, you know, and they'll look brilliant. Um, but, you know, they have looked like they could they could be beaten. Even the Hurricanes looked like they could beat them until overtime. Um, so I think they do have a chance, and they have momentum on their side, and that's a big thing in sport. Uh, of course, they're playing at home and they know how to win grand finals uh, and that sort of thing. But individually, the the how they all stack up individually against each other, I, I think it looks pretty close, really. And, you know, Damien McKenzie, why not for about the seventh week in a row he comes up and wins it for the Chiefs or something? I mean, it, it would be great for, for rugby to see the turnaround from the last year. So uh, I think they can. I think... I. I think Crusaders are still favourites with with me, but I think the um, the Chiefs can do it. I have an enormous regard for teams who deliver excellence season upon season. I think regardless of this result, I absolutely applaud the Crusaders for what they do. I applaud teams like the Melbourne Storm. I'm not a big NFL enthusiast, but the New England Patriots year upon year to put yourself in the in the championship frame. You know, they talk about teams having a window. These great franchises don't have windows. They deliver close to excellence every season. And this isn't the finest Crusaders team we've seen. This isn't the best campaign they've had. But they're in the final. There's a lot of huffing and puffing from other teams and could-bes and might-bes. Well, where are they? They're not in the final. The Crusaders are yet again. And I just have such admiration for that. Barry, very well, you mentioned um, Damien McKenzie, the Christ College old boy, and it would be totally fitting, I think, given the season and the way things have turned around for the Chiefs, for him to win it again. But uh, as I say, win, lose or draw, my admiration will be with the Crusaders because I think it's just a stunning feat and they churn it out year after year. Everyone goes on about Damon McKenzie turning his back on the Crusaders, but he's actually from Southland, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he should be playing for the Highlanders. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You you, you raised a good point there, uh, um, Hamish. I think, you know, this Crusaders team is hardly a a vintage one in the sense, but yet they still get themselves there again. And maybe that's why the, the Chiefs, you look at what the Chiefs have done, what winless last year and the didn't start off uh, this year terribly well, but they've 
managed to, to turn things around. The, I get a sense uh, that they may be building a, a wee bit of a, a, a dynasty there. When you look at the team that they put out against Blues, the Blues, their second string team, is, is, is that a, a fair assessment, do you think, Barry? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's obviously been uh, building over the last year or so. I mean, uh, with the Chiefs, it's probably a bit unfair to say that um, Clayton McMillan's been the difference this year. You know, it's something that's been in place for a little while. And, um, you know, you're not all of a sudden a great team just, you know, two or three months into it. So they they are building um, there. I'd have to say that I think the uh, the local competition this year has been has been pretty good actually. That, that um, most teams could beat other teams, and, and it's and it's been um, uh, it's been exciting in in that sense. Although I am sick of getting to see you know the, play the same teams all the time. Um, and I think uh, what has happened because they've been playing Super Rugby Aotearoa is that it, it's caused a sort of a bit of a, a levelling and an, an evenness about the whole thing. Is is that you're not playing some teams where you know you can do whatever you want and sparkle and score a try. Is everyone sort of having to play the same style of game? So I think that's levelled the playing field out a little bit this year, and has has brought teams like the Chiefs into it and. As I keep saying, the Hurricanes, they could have won a few as well. Um, and it's just come down to some individuals, some teams lacking some players, like the Blues, and uh, for the Crusaders and the Chiefs, a couple of individuals that have made the difference. Come the Trans-Tasman competition, do, do you sense how even do you think that is going to be or, or not? I'd like to think that it is going to be even. Uh, I possibly don't know if it will be. The only thing against the New Zealand sides is that uh, they're going to be blimmin' stuffed after this is how well in the first few weeks they cope with it but I think in the end that uh, they'll, they'll come through so um, yeah I'm not too sure it's the Brumbies in Queensland isn't it playing in their final um, you know that should be a good game but I, I, I just don't think it's on the same level Oh, Give, give us a, a winner, a prediction Crusaders 32-28 I'll take the Chiefs 31-28, how's that? It's it's tight. <laughs> my thanks. Oh, like some left footer drop goal from sixty meters out on the angle by McKenzie or something. Do you know what I mean? Just to clinch it at the death. You can just see him doing something mercurial. Barry Guy, Hamish Bidwell. We'll wrap it up there. That brings us to the end of extra time for another week. Remember, extra time's available every Friday from about four PM. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.